All right, let's take a look at this. It's a little, it's a little tight up here because this is a little tiny stage, but it is really good for us to be here um, today. Uh, my name is uh, Joe Wood, and I'm the uh, senior pastor of the church, and I'm going to do something really wild and off the wall, and there really is a reason for it, okay? So everybody put your hand up like this because Pastor Janice can't be here today because for once in her life, she is actually listening to me, and you can tell her I said that, and I told her to stay home. So Hold your hand still. Whoops, it says I got to go this way. All right, we're going to do this so she can see what was going on at the park and who all was at Vinestock. And she wants to be here so bad that she can't stand it. I'm looking at you, Sarah. There we go. All right. And there we are. All right. But listen, we've gathered together and we do this every year because this is the reason. Because we go, we go to two separate churches in the same building. It's the craziest thing. I, I, I love it when people will walk past and they will say to other people, wait, wait, you go to the vineyard? Well, I've never seen you there. And they're like, well, I'm first service. What are you talking about? And they say, well, oh, well, we go to the second service. And so these people are just like, like Jesse said, ships that kind of pass in the night. And so we just thought years and years ago, it would be great to have one service where we all get to be together and, and get to hang out and be with each other. And the other thing is we want to have fun. We want to enjoy each other's company. Um, we just want to be together and we want a word from God. Most of you know it's been a, a rough time over the last couple of weeks at our house. And so I want to share a message that I wanted to share or I would like to have shared, you know, as when Jack shared his message, you know, stood up after our 10 year and said, yeah, this is where we're going as the vineyard. And so I want to take you into the book of Matthew this morning. I want to take you to the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. And if you happen to get a program, um, the scripture's printed in there. And so you can follow along. And I, and I want you to see what's going on in this particular passage. Okay, because if I read ahead and see what's going on, Jesus has fed the 4,000. Maybe you're familiar at one point he fed 5,000, but then he did it again and he fed 4,000. And so he's kind of done with that. And, uh, and then he's been um, on a journey. He's been walking and the Pharisees come up against him and they want to test him. Some of you are here because, you know, you've been through testing. We certainly feel like the last couple of weeks have been a test for us. And so um, I, I want to see where Jesus is. And, and then he decides, you know what, they're going to go across the lake. So he's getting away from the test. He gets in a boat. He goes across the lake. And then from going across the lake, he starts walking. And he comes to a region, a region called Caesarea Philippi. That's where he is. He's in Caesarea Philippi. And so it's a very, very famous place. It's a lot of pagan worship there. As a matter of fact, there's a cave there. I'm not going to get into it. There's a cave there that was often thought to be the actual gateway to hell. So that's going to matter when you see what Jesus says to Peter. And, and when he begins to tell Peter what it is that we're doing. So as the Vineyard Community Church, besides just having a big picnic, we're going into 2019's fall. But what are we doing? What's the deal? This is what's up. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And we live in a culture that needs to have you and I asking people that question on a regular basis. And you don't have to be philosophical and you don't have to be theological. All you've got to do is be willing to simply say to the person sitting across the table to next, or in front of you or standing next to you, hey, where is God in your life or what is it that you think about God? You've just got to be willing to stretch yourself and begin to ask that question. Now, Jesus has kind of taken stock 
of who they are and how their ministry is going. And he says, who do the people say I am? And the disciples reply and they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he turns the, the question on the disciples themselves and he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? When you're sitting here on the lawn in the heat, uh, when you're sitting in our church building, who do you say Jesus is? When you're at work, who do you say Jesus is? Not who can you verbally say with your mouth, but with your life's actions, with the manner in which you conduct your business, who is it that you are expressing that Christ is? Is he the savior of sinners or is he some God up there that is absolutely, totally disconnected from you and I? Or are you somebody that maybe came in, you saw the party, you saw some blow-ups, you thought you'd check it out, and you're like, ah, I'm not there. It's all good. Hang with us. Hang with us. He asked them, who do you say I am? And I love Simon Peter. Simon Peter is my favorite of all the disciples because he's always the one that's doing more than he's thinking. And sometimes that describes my life. I put myself in gear, and, and I'm the guy that people describe as ready, shoot, aim. You know? It's like, pull the trigger and then point the gun. And it's like, no, you got it all in the wrong order, Joe. You got to point the gun and then pull the trigger. And, and, and I see that Peter's always like, let's do this thing. And the Lord's like, whoa, 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 we got to aim first. We got to aim first. And so he points, or he looks at his disciples and he says, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, he's not going to let the quiet make him uncomfortable. He won't let it happen. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you, son of Jonah, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades. Remember, I told you there was a cave there that they couldn't find the bottom of that lake that's in it. And they believe that it's the gateway to Hades. All right. The gates of Hades will not overcome the church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he told his um, disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. He was, he was going to begin to work on this thing. And so I want to look at this, um, this particular passage and I, and I want to just unfold it a little bit. I'm going to be uh, God willing and, and if you pray hard, I'm going to be shorter than I normally am, okay? Because it's getting hot and I understand that. But check this out. Jesus is taking stock and he's asking us, who do you say I am? We're going into the fall of 2019. There are 88,000 people in Madison County that don't know Jesus. They've got people throwing rocks at them all day long. They don't need the church doing that, but they've got to have a church that is willing to touch them where they are, not embrace their sin, but, but willing to not throw rocks at them and invite them to come on in and let God begin to move in their lives. Let the Lord do the changing. And so that's where we live. And as we say, who do you say that the Christ is? The question is, how do you live that out? It's not just what comes out of your mouth. It's how do you live that out? And then Jesus begins this kind of little double entendre. And he, his name is Simon at this point. And he says, Simon, your name is going to be Peter. Now we understand that that's a Greek word for stone. Okay, and then he says, and on this rock, so you've got big stone, little stone, little stone, big stone, and there's all kinds of things that are going on in that from different theologians and different commentaries, and they're all, like, Jesus is playing with us, he's playing with us, he's saying rocks and stones and things like that. Well, okay, but at this point he says, you are a solid, strong individual. That's what I can tell you for a fact. Peter is a rock, and at one point Jesus says to Peter, 
there. Listen to me. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But when you come back, Peter, so he knows Peter's, listen, we sin. And he knew Peter was going to run. But Jesus says, but when you come back, Peter, and so he knew that Peter was a solid guy. He's a rock. And then he says, on this rock, and I believe as a Protestant that what he's talking about is on the rock of Peter's testimony. You are the Christ. You are the risen son of God. And Jesus says, on that rock, I'm going to build my church. And I was beginning to think about the idea of building church and what does it mean for us to be the church. And so that's what I want to talk about uh, just real, real quickly here. The word church. You know, the word church actually, um, when it began to get used, came through the German Bible and it was the word kirch. That's what it was. And at the time they started using the word church, people began to process it as a building that you went to. But before that, it was ecclesia, okay? Or, or some people will say ecclesia. Okay, I didn't look it up. I say ecclesia. But what that word means in the Greek is it means the gathered together people. This right here is the church. It has nothing to do with the building that we, we go to every Sunday or some of us that work there go to every day. That's not the church. We go to the church building. We go to the meeting house of the Vineyard Community Church Richmond because you are the Vineyard Community Church Richmond. You are the church. Okay, and so we need to recapture the idea that it is not a building. I'll say this as point number one, the church is a fellowship. It's a fellowship. If you're following around and you want to write down really smart things, the church is a fellowship. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. Um, Technically, the word means the people that have been called out for a purpose specifically to be used by God. That's what that word ecclesia means. Bilbo Baggins was a member of a fellowship. The joy about a fellowship is everybody's not the same. The Avengers, listen, you know that we've had an accident in our house and we've got a child that is recovering. And by child, I mean a grown child. He's recovering from the accident. I have seen all of the Avengers movies in the last two and a half weeks. I am sick and tired of superheroes right now. Okay, but what I do like is that all the heroes are different. And as my wife used to get used to um, superhero movies, she used to have to ask me, okay, but I need to know what their superpower is. So I know if I need to know if I need to be afraid for them. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, are they going to save the world? Um, It's like Superman, nothing can hurt him. So I don't have to be afraid. So I'm just going to sit here. And and she wouldn't get into the movie because she's like, well, he's going to save the world. Nothing can hurt him. It's like, oh, wow, you're just not the person to watch these movies with. But can you imagine if the Avengers were all Thor? Or if the Avengers were all Iron Man? Or if the Avengers were all Ant-Man? Or if the Avengers were all um, Captain Marvel? See, it would be absolutely boring and and the whole storyline would be awful. And the same thing is true of the church. If everybody was a Joe, if everybody was a Janice, if everybody was a Jesse, if everybody was a Forrest, if everybody was a Michael, that's not what God wants. We're a fellowship. The church is a fellowship of different individuals with different gifts that need each other. And we've got to recapture the idea that I don't go to church. I am the church, and therefore I am needed by the church. You ever had a a, a school project that depended on somebody else? You ever had a work project that depended on somebody else? There you are busting your tail, getting yours in. You can see the A, and then they come in, they bring D effort, and they put it, and it averages out to like a C minus. And you're like, not cool, not fair, don't want to be a part of it. 
But the church has got to come together and in each of their uniquenesses be willing to use all of their gifts. Not to call anybody out, but I just heard this morning that somebody is about to step up and serve on a specific team in this church. And I'm like, yeah, what's taking you so long? But instead, I patted him on the shoulder and said, do it. Come on. I'm so excited for him. I'm excited what it's going to do. But the invitation to a fellowship is the same one that Jesus gave to his disciples. The invitation to the Vineyard Community Church, which has got to always be open and inclusive. And by inclusive, this is what I mean. Don't put words in my mouth. By inclusive, I mean everybody is welcome. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. You come in the door, you come into the group because Jesus wants to change you through the people that are there and because Jesus wants to change the people that are there through you. See, it's not a parasitic relationship, it's a symbiotic relationship and that's important. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 4. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon, who's going to be called Peter, we ironed that one out already, and Andrew, his brother. So Peter and Andrew are brothers. And they were casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother uh, John in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Uh, I did happen to watch the first of the trilogy of The Hobbit this week, as a matter of fact, and that's why it's spilling over into my message. Because I love the part where Bilbo says he's not going on a great adventure. He will not do this. And then the next scene is he's running through the Shire, screaming bloody murder. I'm going on a great adventure because he's willing to sign the line and be a part of the fellowship. He's willing to go all in. So number one is the church is a fellowship. Number two is each member has a role. I've talked about that just a little tiny bit. Paul tells us we have a role, and he talks to us about the idea that the church is a body, and every part of the body is necessary. And the fact of the matter is, sure, the face looks good. Sure, the hips look nice. Sure, the hair looks great. Sure, the eyes are pretty colored. Sure, the lips and voluptuous. Sure, everything looks really good on the outside. But listen, if you've got a really bad, messed up part on the inside, then the body is sick inside, even though it's pretty on the outside. And the same thing is true of the church. If one part of the church is suffering, then we all suffer, but we all suffer together. We don't cut it off, chuck it, and say, we don't want anything to do with you. We say, let us help you heal. We say, let us be a part of this because you are a part of who we are. Paul says that each one of us gets called by Christ, and Jesus called fishermen, he called tax collectors, he called a political zealot, he called a thief, and he called others. But the point is that each one of us gets to, to carry our load of the mission of Jesus Christ in Madison County. Each one of us is supposed to be reaching out to other people. Each one of us is supposed to be doing what Jesus told Peter he was going to do, grow the church, build the church. That's our focus and that's our goal. And we dare not get distracted from it with our children and, and our jobs and our want for money and things. We've got to stay focused and enjoy the things that happen into our lives. But to remember that these things are for the kingdom of God. I had an incredible opportunity at, at God's sandwich shop this past week. I happened to go in there. I just needed to escape reality. And I just wanted to get an ice cream cone. And I just wanted to sit in the corner. And I just wanted to be left alone. 
So I went in and I said hi to some people that I know behind the counter. I got my ice cream cone and I went over and lo and behold, I ended up having a conversation with the man about automobiles because him and I drive the same kind of automobile. He's an older gentleman and he just happened to see me and the conversation lasted 40 minutes. But real quickly, I decided to turn it to Jesus and we ended up just talking about Jesus and him and his wife have just moved here and um, they're looking for a church. I don't know if you're in the crowd here, Larry, but I expect to see you at some point. That's what we do. We take the things that God puts in our lives, and that's not the purpose of our lives. We use it to start spiritual conversations, and good things can happen. But each member has a role, and each member has a responsibility to do more than just attend, and we want to be aware of that. Paul tells the church in Galatia, check this out, brothers and sisters, if somebody's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should uh, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you'll be tempted. And this is the important part of the church. Carry each other's burdens. Struggle with each other. And thank you for struggling with my family. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. If anybody thinks that they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each person should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves, not comparing themselves to someone else. We don't need to compare ourselves to other people in the church. For each one, and this is the important part, Each one should carry their load. They're part of the church. They should be involved in service. They should be involved in seeing the kingdom of God grow uh, inside of what we call the Vineyard Community Church. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all things with the instructor. That's Paul's, Paul's teaching there. And that's really, really important. The kingdom of God moves forward on the willingness of individual members to play their part willingly. Are you willing to play your part willingly? Do you jump in and say, I'll take a shot at it. I will give it a try. The last thing I want to share with you is, individually, we have a past. Every one of us in here was born a sinner. Every one of us has a past. Some of us have a past that we're scared to death people will find out. Some of us have a past and we want people to know. Some of us live our lives keeping the very people that we want close to us away from us because we're we're afraid that they're going to see our past. But I need you to understand that individually we all have a past, but together we have a future. All of us come from different places, different sin, different brokenness. And just because you became a Christian doesn't mean you stop struggling. It doesn't mean it's over. It means we struggle together. It means you own your sin. You, you, the scripture would say confess your sins to one another, but it's for the purpose of sharing the burden of helping us get healthy and strong in Christ. Paul tells us in Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. You, don't want, to know, you want to know who the apostle Paul was when he was Saul and he was persecuting the church? He says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was a violent man. He put people in prison, he separated husbands and wives, He stripped children away from their parents. He took their homes. He took their property. He killed mothers and fathers. He destroyed people because they wouldn't be good Jews. They wanted to chase Jesus. And here he is testifying out loud, I need you to know what my sin was. He wasn't trying to hide his sin. He said, I need you to know what my sin was. 
Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, not healthy people, sinners. And every single one of us, regardless of how much money we have, how good we look, or how special and religious and holy we look, we are all sinners separated from Christ. But Jesus came to save us, and that's important. But he goes on to say, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul considered himself so horrible and so awful that even God wouldn't want anything to do with him. And some of you feel You've got to get your life straightened out before you come to God. And I'm telling you, you come to God for the very purpose of getting your life straightened out. We get it backwards so many times because we judge people when they walk in the door or, or when we hear about their sin. And, and instead of reaching out a hand and saying, we've got to find a way to help them heal, we say, we've got to keep them away from us. I've had people leave this church that thought we should have circled the wagons and kept other people away from their families. And I'm telling you, we're here to raise up our families as candles to send to the dark their light will shine so that other people will come in. Paul shared this testimony for the whole purpose, he goes on to say, so that he can see that other sinners that know what it's like to live his kind of a life can realize that God loves them. That God is not mad. That while we were yet sinners, goodness sakes for you and I, while we were yet unborn, Christ died for our sins. Knowing that we weren't going to do it right. Knowing that we were going to sin at, at times even after we tried to surrender to him and began our journey with him. He's still saying, I've got forgiveness for you. Not, I've got permission for you to continue to be filthy so other people will be impressed with you. But rather, I have forgiveness for you. Paul wasn't afraid to say I was a sinner. But for some reason, we want everybody to think the world of us but coming to church is not about having it together. You know, there are two extremes of people. When I think about individually, we have a past, but together we have a future. There are two extremes of individuals in the church that I think are crushing, crushing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's the person that absolutely refuses anybody to know that they struggle and they live in fear of people finding out and they kill themselves trying to be good because it's not possible. I'm not saying it's okay to sin because Jesus said, go and leave your life of sin. But what I'm saying is when we realize that Christ's grace is for us, he gives us the power to say no to sin. This kind of person hides in the corners of their souls and wants so bad to feel that they belong, but they keep themselves closed and they want help, but they can't get it because we can't admit it. And listen to me, that's the way I grew up. I know that you need to think really well of me so that I can be included in the, in the ecclesia, in the church. I don't want you to push me out to the side. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus died to bring you in and to walk with you. And you don't have to hide your sin. That is a coat that is too heavy for you to bear. But you do have to be willing to take it off. 
You do have to be willing to lay it at the foot of the cross. You do have to be willing to be accountable for it so that we can all help each other heal. The second person that I believe is crushing the church in America today, to, to me, and this is a little scarier, and, and you've seen it on Facebook, it's the person that's kind of proud of their sin. They're, they're proud of it. They say, well, this is my sin, but don't worry. God has grace for us all, and it's okay because all sin is the same. Listen to me. I'm going to do a sermon series sometime. It's called Really Bad Theology. And the worst theology out there right now is the meme that says... All sin is the same to God. Have you ever read the book of Leviticus? God's word. See, when somebody says all sin is the same, what I know is they don't read their Bible. And when people start going, yeah, 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 I know they're not reading their Bible. Because God said, if you lie, you got to stop and tell the truth. If you steal, you got to pay back four times. If you kill, you have to be stoned to death. That doesn't sound like all sin's the same to me. All sin has the same end. Right? For the wages of sin is death. But while you and I are on this planet, all sin is not the same. Now, I don't say that so that we can say, well, your sin's worse than mine. I don't say that so we can say that. I say that so we can stop making excuses for our sin and say, it's okay. It's okay. It's not okay. Jesus died for your sin because he loves you so much and he wants to put his arms around you and draw you in. But when I say my sin's okay, then there's no reason for him to die for me. See? So then there's never going to be forgiveness for my sin. I've got to be willing to look at Joe Wood in the mirror and say, no, this is the truth. And so we have to be kind of careful about that. The truth is the resurrection power of Christ through the Holy Spirit washes our sin as far as the east is from the west, and God remembers it no more. And I take great comfort in that. That I have people that will pray for me, pray around me, pray over me when I need forgiveness from God. I've got people that will walk with me and let me say, I did this, I thought that, or I snapped and barked that, whatever it might be. I was toxic in that situation, and I need forgiveness. And they will pray with me. Listen to me. When you join a fellowship, when you gather together with the church, yesterday is not as important as tomorrow. I need you to get a hold of that in your heart. If you struggle as the first person or if you struggle as the second person, I need you to get a hold of the theology, the idea, the philosophy of ministry that yesterday, your, your yesterday is not as important as your right now and your tomorrow. Where you were is what God saved you from. Where you are is where he brought you. You thought you were here in this park by accident today? Come on, everybody. Every day ordained for me was written down in your book before one of them came to pass. Psalm 139. You're not here by accident. You aren't even here by human uh, intervention. You're here because God arranged things for you to be here. To hear this idea that your yesterday is not as important as your today and your tomorrow. That's what's important. You've been called to build the church by reaching out to lost souls. Those of you that have already surrendered your life to Jesus. Inviting them into a relationship with Christ who said, go and leave this life of sin. What we are is a testimony to those who are in the same places that we used to be. 
partiers, adulterers, money mongers, greeters, uh, greedy, liars, sexually immoral, and such. But Christ has saved us from that. So as the worship team comes up here, and as they get ready to play, we are launching into our next 10 years. We are moving forward. We are going to the end of the building, and I am believing that God is taking us there. In three weeks, God willing, and if the surgery goes okay with my wife this coming Friday, I am going to Africa with a board member, and God willing, if he'll work it out, we can translate Pastor Janice's um, tickets to somebody else, and that man's going to go with us as well. And we are going to begin to say, what is our role globally as well as what is our goal and our role locally? But I'm asking you, what is your personal role locally? What is your personal role to the kingdom of God? Because until Christ's trumpet blows, you and I need to understand that we've been called to gather, so we gather. We get together every Sunday, and it is worth it. It is important. Rolling over says more about our relationship to God than it says about what we believe about anything else. God wants to say something to you every time we gather together. And God is going to say something through you to somebody that you're around every time we're together. So we gather. And when we gather, we give because Paul said, I want you to save up that tithe. And when we get together, give it to the mission. But not just your money. God's gifted you with talents. Some of you are artists. Some of you are commercial artists. Some of you are counselors. Some of you are speakers. Some of you are instrument players and singers. The kingdom of God is waiting on you to step up and hear Jesus say, come use your gift for me and I will make you fishers of men. The kingdom will grow because you go. We gather together because we get from God. He speaks right into our our pain. If I could give you a dollar for every time somebody has come to me after a sermon and said, were you sitting across the table from me this week? Did God come talk to you? Did somebody I know come talk to you? And I say, no, I need you to understand that we serve a God in heaven who is alive and he's the God of the living of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and they're not dead. And therefore, he's your God and he's not dead. And he wants to say things to you, but we got to get unbusy and get refocused on the kingdom. And the last thing is, when we gather, when we give, when we get from God, it is for the purpose of going. We're going to party and have a good time here till 2.30. Then we're going to fold it all up. But just like on Sunday morning, back in the physical building that we inhabit as a gathering, We leave to go make a difference. And when our co-workers, when our families, when our friends, when people say, well, you're not doing everything right, that's your chance to say, yes, and God forgives me and tells me to get up, and then I'm telling you, he'll do it for you too. And so I invite you to embrace, embrace the mission that begins with surrendering your life to Jesus Christ by acknowledging that you're a sinner. And you are desperately in need of a Savior. Somebody to come and pay the price for your sins because the fact of the matter is God wants you back in the family. Most famous scripture that we ever see. And it's Sunday. It's NFL week. So you're going to see it again. 
John 3.16 For God so loved the world. So how about we stop throwing rocks at sinners? How about we start embracing them and say, let's go. Jesus is going that way. Get on board the gospel train. Because we've been called to introduce people to Jesus who loved you enough to forgive you. So let's love the rest of the sinners enough to let him forgive them too. We're going to rise up. This is our city. This is our county. And this is our country. And we're not going to sit down and shut up. We're going to reach out and we're going to make a difference. And it's on you now. It is on you now.